Good morning, friends. I'm so glad that I could come and I could preach and I could share God's word with you this morning. Uh, when Brian asked, because he's on vacation, as we know, uh, I, I consider it an honor. I, I love your church. I love being able to be here. And yes, this is not quite being here, but I hope you understand. Uh, it's been a unique season, and it's been a unique season for me, but one of the things that I've been learning through all of this is how beautiful and valuable it is, even for those small connections, those small moments that we're able to make with our community of faith. So even though we're separated, we are not. I'm here, and I'm so excited to share God's word with you. Um, we do live uh, in a season of uncertainty. It's one of those unique moments, and with the uncertainties that we face today, uh, in many ways it's no different than the uncertainties that people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they faced as well. Um, and with everything that's going on, it's easy to ask questions like, how do we continue to trust God when, when it seems like everything's so different? Or how do you find peace in the midst of a world that seems like it's spinning out of control? Or how do we remain hopeful in a world that seems hopelessly broken? So a few weeks ago, I woke up with these nerve tingles going down my leg. It was one of those moments that was so disconcerting. So I like to pride myself on being fit and healthy. I put a lot of hope in my body, like I'm going to be that guy. I'm not going to be those other people. But that morning when I woke up and I like reached down to grab something, I felt these tingles going all the way down my leg and instantly I started thinking of all of the worst case situations. And so like every normal person these days, I googled it. I'm feeling tingles go down my leg, to which then you get way too much information. You start freaking out. Luckily I had enough wisdom to go and see a doctor and then see a physiotherapist and they actually resolved the situation, which was great. But even in the midst of all of that, I was reminded at how much hope I put in my body. Uh, today we're talking about hope. Uh, today we are exploring what does that look like in a season that we find ourselves in. The uncertainty all around us. How do we actually hope? What does that look like? So, I think you might understand this tension. Now many of you do. Um, for example, if you've been hoping in something, say you've been hoping in a job, and you write the resume, and you are sure it works, it's going to work out, and then it doesn't. And it leaves you frustrated and confused and disappointed. Or maybe you were standing at the altar, and when you said, until death do us part, and they declared the same thing, never in your mind were you thinking, that this might come crumbling down, and that they didn't actually mean what they said. They actually just meant until something else or something better comes along. If you've been in those situations where then you start to question, how do I hope in people? How do, how do I do this when I feel so helpless? Then I think you understand the tension of how do you maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world. Or perhaps, you have great athletic ability, or you did, and you knew you had the scholarship, things were working out perfectly for you, and then all of a sudden, hopes, dreams dashed by that injury. And you find yourself thinking, 
I've always planned to be this professional athlete. I've always thought that this was going to be the course in my life. And yet here you find yourself trying to manage the tension of how do I maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? Or maybe you've started to place your hopes and dreams on your kids. I know that's the case. I have a lot of friends that they look down at their kids and they, they put so much into it and they have so many hopes and dreams and plans, aspirations for their sons and daughters. And then all of a sudden their son and daughter later on starts making choices that they wish they could control. And they can't control it and they try and it creates conflict and they find themselves frustrated at the hopelessness of the situation. Well, I can tell you this, if you have experienced any of that or some other situation, you understand that maintaining hope in a hopelessly broken world is not easy, it's hard, it's complicated. And scripture's been asking the same questions as well, right? We find in scripture story after story of hope and the wrestle with it. It shows up a lot and for good reason. Humans need hope. We need hope like trees need sun. We need hope like people in quarantine need Wi-Fi. Like we need it. We live for it. And the conversation of hope, it saturates the Bible, and I'd like us to jump to Job. So if you would want to turn with me, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, open it up and go to Job. That's right, Job, the guy who lost everything, had the world flipped upside down. And for those of you who don't know the kind of the context of Job, I'm just going to share a little bit about him for you. So it's this beautiful ancient narrative poem that rotates around this simple plot. Job has experienced terrible loss. Things have gone horribly wrong. The world is so broken in his environment. And the debate goes round and round, almost like an ancient rap battle, if you will. You can picture this. Well, maybe some of you can. Maybe some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay. But as like an ancient rap battle with his friends, Job's friends are telling him, Job, just say sorry. Just apologize for whatever you've done wrong, because surely you've done something wrong for all of this bad stuff to happen. And they go on and on about that. And then Job responds back and says, I have not done anything wrong. I have been righteous. I will not say sorry for something that I've not, I don't need to say sorry for. And it goes round and round and round, this debate back and forth, until eventually God responds. And by the telling of all of these unanswerable, wonderful, beautiful mysteries that God has, he drops all of this information and Job falls to his knees and recognizes, like, who am I to even question? Who am I to even question this God? Well, turn with me to Job 8, uh, 11 to 15. All right? So, now, Bildad, this is a statement from one of his so-called friends. Um, and I think that this points us in the right direction as we consider the conversation of how do I maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? Can papyrus grow tall where there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water? While still growing and uncut, they wither more quickly than grass. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. What they trust 
in is fragile. What they rely on is a spider's web. They lean on the web, but it gives way. They cling to it, but it does not hold. I love it. I love the picture. Can you picture, like, leaning into a spider's web? How gross and disgusting that is. When I was traveling in Australia one time, and I was swimming, um, and I was swimming in this alcove, and I go around a corner, and I had my hands up against the rock, and all of a sudden, I felt this, like, spider web cling through my hands, and this bump. I felt a bump, and I look around, and I'm not kidding you, it was this huge spider, and I had just put my hand right on it, and there was, like, a spider's nest with, like, eggs. Well, why am I telling you this? You don't even need to know this information. It has nothing to do with the sermon, except for the fact that spider webs are gross. That's definitely true. And could you imagine leaning into it, thinking it's a wall? You would fall right through. Bildad has this perfect picture for us about what it looks like to put our hope in things that are vapor, vanity, nothing. It's like leaning against a spider's web. And it's an important challenge. And basically, you could summarize everything that he says in this. Those who forget God have no hope. Those who forget God have no hope. So friends, this is the challenge in front of us. How do we maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? Let's get into some points, all right? So point number one, evaluate your source of hope. Evaluate your source of hope. Where does your hope come from? What's the nature of your hope? Now, first of all, I want to talk about what hope is not. It is not optimism. Hope is not optimism. It's so much better than optimism. Because a lot of times people think it's the same thing. And now I appreciate this about what Rick Warren says. And he has a long series, like, like a 10-week sermon series on hope. And he says this, basically, that hope is theological. Optimism is uh, physiological. Optimism is telling yourself that things are going to be great even when they aren't. Now, optimism is not always in touch with reality. It is a false hope. It is saying, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And you say it long enough that you try to convince yourself that that's actually the case. Even though you know in your heart that this is actually not true. Optimism is holding on tight, but it's still like a spider's web. It's still like an unstable surface that you can fall through. Now, there's nothing wrong with optimism as compared to being a pessimist and just believing that nothing ever will turn out well. But optimism is only about what you actually have control in, that you can change your perspective on something and put that extra little bit of effort in, or you can work a little bit harder to change a situation that you actually have control in. But if you've lived life for a little while, you have definitely come to discover we actually don't have control over much. In our lives, we control very little. And so with that, we have to think of hope not as optimism. Hope is actually ruthlessly realistic, where optimism says something like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It could, it's going to be better. Hope says, actually, this is bad. This is not good. This is not a healthy situation, or this is broken. This is actually broken. Let's not pretend that it's better. But 
in spite of that, I actually still believe. I actually still can walk forward in my life because I know what I have in store for me, what my actual hope rests in, is firm and secure. So my first question to you is, is your hope, the hope that you rely on day after day, is it just wishful hope? Is it like crossing your fingers and being like, I just, I hope I make it. I hope I make it through this light. I hope uh, that when I get to the Starbucks line that they still have the drink that I have and if they don't, all my day is ruined. What kind of hope do you actually have in your mind? Is it just wishful thinking? Because if it is, that's, that's like what Bildad talks about. It's just leaning against a spider web. It's just wishing for you to win the lottery, which, friends, you're not going to win the lottery, so please don't bank on it. So that's one aspect of hope, and that is, not imp that is not helpful, that's not valuable, is wishful thinking. Now there's another source of hope that, that's a bit more secure than just wishful thinking and fingers crossed. Those are things that you can often expect. Like, you plant a seed. You plant a seed in good soil, and you water it, and you give it sunlight. You can expect, in all likelihood, you can hope that you're going to end up having a plant grow, or you're there, that a crop will come, and that there will end up being a harvest. Or that if you're pregnant, and you know that your child is growing within you, you have this expectation, you have a hope that's a little bit more secure than just wishful thinking. Now, the world puts a ton of weight on these kinds of hopes. These things that we can kind of anticipate, we can kind of expect, but you only have to live in this world for a little while before you realize that kind of hope, even that kind of hope, it doesn't last, it doesn't endure. We live in a broken world. You make vows that you think are secure and then they choose something different. You're lovingly carrying this child to term and just something goes wrong and you miscarry. These are real things, and when we put our hopes in them, when we rely on them as, as our sure and secure foundation, that's when things go sideways for us. But the world says these are the things you hope in. Put your hope in that relationship or in that group of relationships. Put your hope in that company or in this profession, or in your ability here, or in your looks, or in society, or in the natural law of things. Put your hope in and just fill in the blank. What in this world do you put your hope in? Here's the challenge. All things in this world, as beautiful and good and gifts that they are, they are not the things that we can put our hope in. They are not secure. They're not firm. So you, if you live in a world that denies God and clings to a hope on that list or some other thing, it is like leaning against a spider's web, even though it's a little bit thicker than a spider's web, maybe more like a trap door, right, where you can kind of put a little bit of pressure on it for a little while, but eventually it will break. Eventually it won't pan out to be the perfect thing that you need it to be or long for it to be. Can I tell you a story about camping? My family, we like camping a lot, and I grew up camping, and we'd go all sorts of places. And one of the places that we went that I really enjoyed was Livingston uh, Falls Provincial Park. 
Now, this Livingston Falls Provincial Park has these, this river and this slope where it, when the water is right, we actually could kind of slide down it, kind of like a, I don't know, like a water slide. It was a lot of fun. But what it also ended up having was these really tall banks with these trees. Now, it was really neat. So me and my brother, this is when we were younger, we went over to this and we stood at the edge of like, it's not a cliff, but the edge of the river. And the tree roots, if you can imagine it with me, they'd like wind out and then back in. And it created like almost like a jungle gym where we could like hang off of roots on the edge of the cliff and have a lot of fun with it. And then we got the brilliant idea. Every child right now is probably thinking, oh, I know what I would do in this situation. We decided to build traps. So this is what we did. Uh, we, we took branches, we took sticks, we took all sorts of things, and we laid them across where the, where the roots would come out and back into the cliff edge, and we'd lay out these sticks, and then we'd lay out thinner sticks, and then we'd like, lay out pine needles, and then, we per and then we did it again and again and again and again, and we filled this entire area with, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself and my brother. We did such a good job it looked like you were stand it looked like the surface of the ground and so with a lot of pride and we'd like kind of test it with our feet a little bit it's like oh it's a little bit too spongy it's a bit too spongy so what did we do we go to our parents we hang out we tell them all about it and then after we've done that they hear our story and they think to our, themselves are you kidding are you did you Kids, you can't do that. That is extremely dangerous because it's true. We didn't really think that through. We we're like, yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? But sure enough, if you had walked out and stood on that false ledge, you would have fallen through. We did such a good job of masking the ground with this trap that if someone actually had walked, they would have fallen through, hit the bank of the river, and maybe even been washed away. It would have been really, really bad. Um, it's a, one of those fun stories, but it, it illustrates a valuable point. The world gives us false ledges that we stand on all the time. The world presents to us illusion after illusion and invites us to put our trust in this thing or in that thing, in this situation or in this person. And even in a world, and even if the world uh, didn't do that, I think it w we would come to this conclusion ourselves. Um, we know, we have this deep, deep instinct that we need to put our hope in something. You need to put your hope in something greater than yourself and greater than this world and far more than just wishful thinking. That's, that's the human condition. That's the human experience that um, we have to do it. And if something doesn't work, we poke around until we find something that at least sort of works. And we test it. We go to the edge and, and then we fall through. We've all fallen through on things that we've hoped on. And this is so important for us to realize, particularly in this season of our lives, with all of the challenges that we face, this world being kind of turned around, what do we put our hope in? So, this is where we find ourselves. We need hope to live. We long for it. Um, we live for it, but we live in this broken world. And when we honestly evaluate our sources of hope, we can see them for the traps that they are, the vain promises 
that just take us to the edge but don't actually deliver. The things of this world are not a firm foundation. Wishful thinking, expectant hope ultimately leads to decay and frustration. But there is, and I think a lot of us know this, but there is a third kind of hope. A hope you can build your life on. A hope that is firm and secure, knowing for certain. Hope built on God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is real hope. Real hope is based on God's word and not on my desires or my wishes. And God doesn't lie. And so when God makes the promises that he makes in his word, which are many, they are real promises. They are secure promises. We are invited not to put our trust, not to put our hope in our emotions, but in what God has actually revealed, what he's revealed to us throughout history and in scripture and in the testimony of our lives and our friends' lives. Thousands of years of eyewitness testimonies proving and showing the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God. All pointing to Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior. The one who defeated death. The only one that as you walk to the edge of life, he is past that. He is a hope that is eternal, that is firm and secure. How do you grow in hope in a hopelessly broken world? Put your hope in God. Put all your weight, put all of your weight on it. Not just one foot tap, tapping it and kind of hanging out with hoping on other things. Put all of your hope, all of your weight, all of your desires on Jesus. And when you do that, you discover it is a firm and secure foundation. And I do want to say this. God, he knows your heart. He knows your longings. He knows your desires. He knows the things that, you de that you're you're wishing for, that you're longing for in your life. He knows your dreams. But you can't put your hope in those dreams. The good, thi the good things of this world, they are good. And they are gifts to be enjoyed for a time. But you'll only fully enjoy these gifts, the gifts of this world, when we stop uh, allowing them being the source of our hope. God knows the destructive power of hopelessness. Have you ever felt those moments when hope is just gone and there's that deep, anxious sense of hopelessness that settles in? It's terrifying. It's debilitating. It's, it's so difficult. And friends, if you find yourself in a desperate place where you find just you are feeling hopeless and you just can't seem to get out of it, God is here for you. And his, God's community is here for you. And if this has been one of those difficult situations because of social distance, reach out, make that choice, make the phone call, step out of that space and begin to talk to someone so that you can get hope or get help. Jesus Christ is our living hope. Hebrews 6 summarizes this so perfectly and so beautifully. It speaks of the certainty of God's promises. In verse 19a, it says this of chapter 6. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now, I love this illustration. 
For one, the sea has often represented chaos and confusion, uncertainty, uh, difficulty. And so when you have this idea of an anchor, an anchor on a boat helping you through in a time, in a time of storm, even as what we heard earlier uh, in the message to the kids. I love the stories of Jesus on a boat and how the disciples have to interact with him and figure things out. Now, what happens to a boat that doesn't have an anchor? This is actually really valuable. This is an important insight that we can learn from. So the anchor keeps the boat from drifting. When you put your hope in Jesus, it keeps your life from drifting. Have you found, have you noticed that maybe even recently, that as you haven't been putting your hope in Jesus, as your focus has been off on other things, that you've been kind of drifting? That you aren't where you were maybe a month or two or three years ago when it comes to your faith? It's not as vibrant and alive? You've been drifting. Where has your hope been? Or the anchor also keeps the boat stable in a storm, right? When everything is raging, when things are going wrong, it, it, it anchors you. It actually keeps you from capsizing and it keeps you from ending up where you don't want to be. God invites you to drop a secure anchor for your soul. But even like, and now go back to the story with the kids. It's a beautiful story that we hear in Mark. Actually, it's in mul- multiple gospels. But in Mark 4, they have this story. They have the story where Jesus is asleep on a cushion, right? Seriously, like, did he have earplugs? Was it that exhausting of a day? Or was his, our crisis not his crisis? Like, did he have perspective? Anyways, questions to wonder on. He's asleep. The disciples are freaking out. They cry out for help, and Jesus does this profound miracle. Now, a lot of times we look at this story and see that the disciples, and we consider the disciples as failing, as kind of getting it wrong. But if you actually take a bigger perspective of the trajectory of the gospel, we actually see that this isn't quite a failure. This is learning. This is growth. Because it could have gone a different way. Imagine this for for a second. The storm comes. Jesus is asleep. And these disciples, they look around and things are getting worse and they think to themselves, oh man, okay, this is my moment. I'm going to prove to Jesus how like brave I am, how courageous I am, how like resourceful and industrious I am, and I've got these skills, and they quietly, fearfully are trying to solve their own problem. And things are getting worse and worse and worse, and they're like, don't wake up Jesus. He doesn't want to deal with our problems. Like, let's solve this problem ourselves. Let's not go to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, Philip and Andrew get capsized, and they go off on the other side. They cry and scream, and then Jesus wakes up, calms the storm, saves the people, and then we're, we're left in a similar situation. I could easily picture that of taking place. But they didn't do that. That isn't how the story goes. They had already walked with Jesus long enough that they knew that in a time of trouble, they had a secure hope, that they had someone they could actually cry out to. And yes, they weren't confident in how the situation was going to work out, but it appears they were confident that crying out to Jesus was going to do something. And so they did. That is so vital in our journey of how we grow in our hope in a season of uncertainty. With all of the stuff going on, ask Jesus for help. Don't just white-knuckle it and try and do this on your own. 
ask him for help. And the beauty of asking him for help is he does stuff. God throughout history responds to his people when they ask for help. He does. And in this story, we would never have witnessed a miracle. We would never have seen him calm the storms if the disciples had not asked for help. In our willingness to set our pride aside, be vulnerable, and ask the Lord for help. Lord, help me have more hope. Help me to see you for as you truly are. Help me to see and have perspective on what's going on. Help me to know that I can trust you. All of these requests, they bring about miracles. They bring about opportunity. They bring about things that we see throughout Scripture that are beautiful and good, all because people were willing to put their pride aside and ask for help. So despite their failure, as the scripture kind of points out, like, why don't you believe? And they have all of that kind of fear and confusion. Even in the midst of all of that, asking for help is such a valuable way for us to not only maintain, but grow in hope in a hopelessly broken world. Those are three things that I really believe that if in this season you lean into that, evaluate Evaluate where your hope actually lies. Be honest with yourself. And then after that, put your hope in God. And not just put your hope in God in the abstract, but when things are actually difficult, ask him for help. Cry out to the Lord, Lord, please help me see this differently. Help rescue me in this situation. Here's a tip. I encourage you to practice this daily, this whole next week. A daily tip is to preach this. Preach it to yourselves and to others. Now, in Psalms 42, verse 5, it's a beautiful moment where the psalmist cries out, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The psalmist, in this moment of desperation, he's like, spirit, soul, why, why are you so downcast? It's like positive, valuable self-talk because he's actually preaching the hope of Christ back into his life, saying, Trent, put your hope in God today, this moment. Or for you, put your hope in God today. Preach it to yourself daily. Hoping in God does not come naturally for us. We are prone to wander. We're prone to pull up the anchor and go adrift. We must preach it to ourselves. We must sing it. We must declare it. We must tell stories of God's faithfulness and the hope that we can place in him. So yes, as you go this week, put your hope in God. Ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. Preach the message of hope to yourself and to others. And I guarantee, it's like it is a clear mandate and promise from the Lord that as we put our trust in him, as we hope in the Lord, our strength is renewed and we find ourselves able to continue on in ways we earlier, not, we, we earlier thought was not possible. Friends, I have deeply appreciated sharing this message with you today. And I hope it's an encouragement and a reminder. Put your hope in God alone. He is a secure and firm foundation.
the world lays traps. It's like a spider web that you fall through. Surrender those, give them to the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we close our service with another song, I just pray that as we sing wherever we're at, that we would allow our singing, our singing to be an anthem to you, a declaration that we can hope in you. Lord, we do love you. And for some of us, Lord, we have gone a bit adrift. Lord, today we reaffirm our commitment to put our hope in you and you alone. And we trust you with the rest. Lord, we love you. We adore you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your promises. Amen. Thanks, friends. God bless.